Welcome back into the Records and Riffs podcast. That intro music is Lazy Love by the band Guster, and if you check out some of the other episodes, you'll see that I have an interview with the drummer from Guster. So be sure to check that out in all the episodes. But today, we're going to talk some grunge, we're going to talk some Nirvana, and hopefully get into some avenues that aren't things that are just, you know, have been discussed and beaten into the ground ad nauseum. But being that Nirvana is such, you know, a powerful brand name. It's like beyond a band at this point, as weird as that sounds, even though Cobain died so long before our awareness of brands even entered into our collective mindsets. Uh, we will hit on some of the obvious stuff as well. I'm bringing on a, a good friend, a talented writer, and a guy who is just, I think, as knowledgeable about Nirvana as anyone I know. He's a senior writer at Sports on Earth. He's a culture writer at Bloomberg Politics. He's a contributing editor at New York Magazine. Of course, he is the founder of Deadspin, and it's a privilege to bring on Will Leach. How you doing, Will? Uh, pretty good, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad to be on. I'll talk. I'll talk about Nirvana forever. I love the fact that I'm trying to think of anything that Kurt Cobain would have would have hated more than having the notion the word brand yeah. come into like in, in in the intro to a podcast about it. I think that. Uh, but you know, that's uh, that. I feel like one of the central things you you have to talk about. You have to keep in mind with about Nirvana is that. You know, so much of Nirvana, you almost have to separate the what Cobain and who he was and all the things he stood for and the songs. Like it almost like they're connected in a lot of ways. Like obviously they're they're from that, but like the song I always remember. You remember when Rolling Stone did that uh, special issue right after Cobain died? Yeah, and they. They had the light. They had, they had a bunch of people write in and say what what Nirvana meant to them. And there was this girl uh, that was like 16 years old, and she wrote in and she's like, "Listen, I've read all the stories about Kurt Cobain. I know he was a tortured guy. I know he had a lot of pain. I know that he was unhappy. I know that he was miserable. But you know, when I listen to Nirvana, it make I when I listen to Nevermind, it makes me happy." And I yeah. feel like that's actually kind of an important thing to keep in mind. Like, yeah, the songs are dark, but like truly great, like, as you know, like great music, whether it's about something depressing or whether it's about pain, it like elevates you in a way that that to me, like, you know, that is like Nirvana, like Kurt Cobain was a depressive person and a lot of his lyrics are depressing and down. But I don't find that when I'm listening to his songs, I'm wallowing in the muck of pain. In a lot of ways, I think I think that gets lost a little bit when 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 kind of casual people kind of look at the Nirvana. The songs are very dark, but there's an obvious excitement and thrill that he gets from writing music, and I think it comes through even in the darkest songs. I think that's true to a large point. I would say where that is not the case, and maybe it's because you know I'd seen it on television so often. I, I own it on I own it on vinyl, will. But the uh, the unplugged, which we'll we'll get into the right. albums. Right. Unplugged. There's a certain uh, desperate pain coming through with what Kurt's singing on some of those yeah. songs that like it's impossible to remove yourself from it but generally speaking yes the juxtaposition with Nirvana's music is knowing who Cobain was and where he was coming from and some of the emotions he was getting across but a lot of it is based in three and a half minute pop music oriented alternative rock so yeah. there there are very pretty melodies in there and that's kind of kind of why to a certain degree and please feel free to jump in correct me at any point because i here's the deal with the podcast is mm -hmm. there are there are a handful of bands that i absolutely love nirvana is a band i like it is not right, my right, it is right. it is probably my least favorite band of the major four from the seattle area that came in the grunge scene and we'll get to that as well but i believe the thing that 
Cobain had a huge issue with with Nevermind was its production, the way it sounded. It was way too glossy for what he wanted it to be, and that's why you know the follow-up record to that was certainly something of a departure from that. But that's why, in my opinion, Nevermind. Yeah, the core of the songs, I think, you know, no matter how it would have been produced and arranged, it would have been considered a classic record. But I think little things can add up and become bigger things. And, you know, the way Smells Like Teen Spirit starts off the album, you know, the way that that sound matched the aesthetic of the music video, it it was kind of a, a perfect combination of 10, 11, 12 different factors that turned Nirvana into such a huge band that, yes, it was alternative and it was grunge and it was heavy, but there were very clear pop elements there that I think Cobain embraced in some ways and unfortunately, you know, or was hesitant to uh, step into in other ways. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I've never discovered Nirvana if Nevermind doesn't sound pretty. <laughs> like, mm. frankly, like, like, well, I mean, you know, if, if Nevermind is produced by uh, Steve Albany, uh, who I think did an amazing job on, on In Utero, and I love the way that album sounds, but that you know, it's it's caustic. It's difficult. It's very, it's very, it's it, it it's matches, abrasive. Without yeah, a doubt. by by design. And it's funny because you know when they had the 20th anniversary of that uh, of that album come out uh, a couple years last year, uh, they did like a remastered version, right? And that took out a lot of like the feedback and took out a lot of and those. And what's great is that it's amazing listening to it because it cleans up a lot of that stuff. Almost not because saying the songs are better that way, just as like an experiment to see how it would sound in a lot of ways. And it sounds fine but it doesn't sound like in utero and i feel like that is you know that they are so the songs will always stand up but i think there's a real personality that each of those records have and nevermind is so like it is radio friendly it's a radio friendly unit shifter as as uh, the mm-hmm. utero song uh, goes but you know cobain as much as he said he wanted a more caustic thing on in utero he talked in interviews about how he's like yeah but like that album like I love that album. <laughs> like he actually said, he said, he said, listen, I I might not like of every decision that Butch Vig made on that, but I'm not. I don't get angry when I hear that album, and I think that I you know I feel like a part of the response that to make In Utero the way it was produced the way it was was less because he thought Nevermind sounded bad. But, you know, for the same reason that, you know, in the liner notes of Incesticide, there's a thing in there saying, hey, if you're one of those asshole frat boys listening to our stuff and raping women, uh, uh, get out. we don't want anything to do with you. Get away. Like he hated like it wasn't that he hated fans or even hated popularity. He hated a very specific kind of fan. And he doesn't get that specific kind of fan. If Nevermind doesn't sound. I, I do agree with that. And frankly, he doesn't get me a 16 year old kid in a farm town in the middle of nowhere. If that's not, if that album doesn't. Well, sound. how did you just? So when was the first time you heard Nirvana? I mean, this is is this it, one? Is this your favorite band? And two, if it is, do, you know, if that's the case, then do you have a, a distinct memory of the first time you ever heard one of their songs? Yeah, it is, and it was on uh, WLRW, which is ninety four point five in Champaign, Illinois. We could uh, I was forty five miles away in Mattoon, and WLRW around that time, you know, their most popular songs were, uh, you know, they 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 didn't even play like. A lot of Guns and Roses. It was a lot of, it, it was Vanilla Ice. It was it was it was Nelson. You know, it was oh, uh, yeah. uh, that sort of stuff. It was not even like not even like later Motley Crue or Def Leppard. Just like kind of just just pop crap junk. And they had a thing called the Top Five at Nine. That was the name. That was and it was it was pure calling. It was pure calling. Whatever people wanted. That's so it was, crazy. You're bringing this up. Yeah, go ahead. And so whatever the most pop, pop, popular songs. Sometimes there'd be like a local band. 
because someone would get enough people to call in to get their song in the top five. And, you know, so and you realize in Mattoon, you know, we we had we didn't have cable. Like we were out in the middle of nowhere. There was no Internet. Like for stuff to get to me took a while. And so I'm sure by the time that Smells Like Teen Spirit got popular enough to be played on the top five at nine, people in uh, in Seattle had been knew about Nirvana for two years. And people in New York knew that they were the biggest band coming. You know, now at, the, at that time, now I would have heard all about this band months before Nevermind came out. But at the time, you know, I literally needed this song to be voted into the top five at nine. And so it was number four. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind in a way that, you know, so I, I don't know if I consider Spells Like Tin Spirit one of my favorite Nirvana songs, but it is, un- in the same way that I don't consider Annie Hall one of my favorite Woody Allen movies, even though it was a gateway drug in the same kind of way. But certainly it, you know, you the minute you heard it, it felt, like this guy is doing something that nobody else is doing. And more to me, that spoke out to me personally as a kid in the farm town in the middle of nowhere. There's a whole huge planet out there that I know nothing about. And that was that's what that song meant to me. Is all of a sudden you're like, I, I had no idea something like this could even be produced. Like this is and and it I, there was not like a you I was not a particularly angst filled child. I was not Cobain frankly would have not liked me at all. I wasn't like a popular kid, but I certainly was not. You know I wasn't sullen. You know I wasn't depressed. I had a nice family. I hung out with nice people. I followed the rules. Like <laughs> I was not like the type of guy that would have hung out with Joe Cobain at all. But certainly I you know you heard that and it felt like like there's there's a world of unexplored possibilities out there that I need to find out about right now. And so almost, I think within a day I had, I had, uh, I went to the Mr. Music in the Coles County mall. And I said, another thing I always liked uh, about Cobain, uh, when nevermind, excuse me, when in utero came out, they changed the name of the song, rape me to waif me. And a lot of people got after Cobain about that. A lot of people said, Hey, Mr. Sellout guy. It was because they had to get the, the album in Walmart. And Walmart would not play it, okay. would not have it, unless it said it was called Wave Me. And people got after Cobain about it. And he said, listen, man, I'm from Aberdeen, Washington, out in the middle of damn nowhere. The only place I can get the albums. I'd love to say that I had a cool record store off campus that I could go to, but I didn't. It was, it's a logger town. He had to get it from Walmart. And so he's like, there's a lot of kids out there that are probably pissed off at their parents and would love to be able to buy this album and will not be able to because I am making some artistic cred statement. And I think that gets lost sometimes with Cobain. I think people think that he just did not want popularity and hated it all. And that's not true. He like, even with the way he structured his songs, he was clearly a guy that like, he was like, he would, a lot of his off-puttingness was to put off like the lowest hanging fruit but he wanted to hit a wide audience and you hear but but by hitting the wide audience it wasn't so much that he wanted to be to be the most biggest rock star in the world as much as he wanted to be able to get to guys like him that 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 weren't tapped into this stuff as kids and neither that kind of outlet and i wasn't tortured the way that he was but certainly i needed i needed that album to get to the widest possible audience. like i look at a band like pavement a pavement another band i like a ton but i didn't think they were they weren't getting the mat tune you know, right. and like it took a while. For the, it, it, I got them later than everybody else. And for me, you know, that was what was so exciting about like that little three or four month stretch when Nevermind came out and really started to explode. And then they went on Saturday Night Live. And then that week passed Michael Jackson, famously passed Michael Jackson's Dangerous as number one album in the country. It all, it all of a sudden felt like there was a revolution going on. And that was something. And, and I think now it's seen as this like rebellion, teen angst, so on. But it was really just something different that no one else was doing. And I think as much as people get caught up with the Kurt Cobain, you know, thing and the persona, 
the reason the reaction that people were having it was to his music it was really later that 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 the when the courtney stuff came up and all that stuff that it became like this lifestyle thing i mean people were reacting to the music at first and i think a lot of that is because that album sounds even to this day perfect like it sounds perfect like like i understand that he would want it to be a little bit more abrasive and he it's a little bit too cleaned up but you know i've i've listened to the remastered the way kurt would have liked it version of nevermind as well i actually like the original version for more and i don't think that's just because i'm just some sellout i think there's something to that i discovered the band just like you there was i lived in south burlington vermont another one of the podcasts here in this first season if you will i mentioned listening to songs on the radio and i, I think i mentioned in that podcast that i heard uh, smells like Teen Spirit. It was a top nine at nine, and I had this little yellow radio, and I'd listen to it before I go to bed. So you, there was uh, oh, that Vanessa Williams song from '91. I uh, can't even remember the name of it now. Sometimes the snow comes down in June. Save the best for last. Yeah. That Mr. Biggs be with you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did have. You know, what's funny is I didn't even realize the correlation. I was 10 years old at the time. I was born in '81, and uh, I did not. I had Michael Jackson's Dangerous on tape. And it wasn't until maybe 97 or 98 that I actually realized uh, what Nirvana had done with Nevermind and knocking that off. So yeah. I always found it funny that I was I was big time into Michael Jackson at the time, and I had no idea that, you know, this band... Which is funny, because, you know, I like that Michael Jackson album, too. Like, I like Michael Jackson. Like, it's, yeah, like it yeah. really felt like what that was was there was this bloated mainstream corpse up there that Nirvana was was slaying i guess you can slay a corpse but you know what i mean like there was this, this thing that they were trying that they took down and they did it you know uh, uh they, they did it their own way and they did it in kind of you know even and that's why i kind of bring up that when when kurt talked about ne uh, Nevermind and how it was mastered he was not complaining like he was saying that like he, like you know he knew at the time he wanted it to be clean and he wanted it to be popular frankly when you listen to bleach you know there are songs that could frankly use to be cleaned up a little bit uh, on yeah, Bleach, yeah. and uh, so I don't think there's any question that you know he he didn't just want that. People did not handcuff Kurt Cobain and say we're going to clean up this album, make it make it sound radio friendly. Like he that was something I think was a conscious decision on his part. Okay, let's rank the studio discography. And by the way, Nirvana, I'll probably do a podcast on this down the road. Uh, I it's probably one of my 20 favorite band names ever, simply because. There's a contradiction between the name and the sound of the music, and I've always loved that about Nirvana, uh, at least, you know, from an objective approach. So, obviously, this is a short-lived band. There's some compilation stuff, and this will be among the, of all the band-specific episodes this podcast does, I think five is about... I mean, if I ever did a big star <laughs> podcast, <laughs> that would he died, be cool. He died at 27. That yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'll do the three studio ones. Plus Unplugged, because its its legacy is pretty huge, and Incesticide. So Will Leach, 5 to 1, go ahead and rank your Nirvana discography. Well, 5's got to be Incesticide. The, uh, there, there's great songs on there, uh, particularly Aneurysm, which is just, it's just, I, I, there are, I have friends that think that's the best Nirvana song. Oh, come on. I disagree. I'm not one of them. But I, I think it's a great, it's different than his usual song. It's more epic than he usually writes songs which i always kind of like about that song yeah. i think it's a terrific song it's a, it's it is but yeah it's not the best nirvana song it's certainly the best song on that album and i think there's a lot of junk on that album there's a lot of you know there's a lot of stuff that they had kind of hanging around that i think geffen decided they wanted you know they want they all of a sudden nirvana was the biggest rock band in the world and they had like 15 songs 
So they took all the they took some they took some extra stuff and they put it on an album and uh, like there's like another version of Polly on there, which is right. not something that needs to exist. So you know, it's it's clear that that that, that is you know it was a cash grab. I think that Kurt originally initially wanted to call that album Cash Cow, uh, which oh was, really yeah he was one, so so I think that you know there is a lot of. It, there's a lot of great stuff. I think aneurysm. I, I, I know you reacted strongly to it being the best song. I don't think it's the best song, but it it's. I put it in the top ten. I have to say, I feel like aneurysm. I like that it's different than most Nirvana songs. It, it, yeah, it almost, I can give it that. Just I can't see how it's possibly their best. That's it's all. it's just. Grand I, I feel like that's something like I don't know if, if you're like a real Nirvana purist, you take incesticide take that album and and it's it's sort of like a hardline stance that people might take which is fine like love what you want to love but i don't know i just don't see how objectively that could be seen as the best uh, i i think that but to me the thing i like about an aneurysm that song would not fit on nevermind it's just a different kind of song it's weird like it's the closest he'll ever come to like to like a uh, to like a meatloaf song because there's I like starts like it starts slow and gets like real big <laughs> and hilarious. operatic and then like builds up to this big thing at the end like there are no angels courting uh, in the background <laughs> but it certainly is it's a grander scale song than he ever really wrote so I always kind of like the difference uh, of that and then, you know there's some good songs there blue is a great song there's a lot of great songs on there but I don't think there's any question there's some junk in there and uh, I think it's stuff- a firm fifth I think most Nirvana fans would say of the five we're talking about that's fine yeah i mean it's not really an album it's a compilation right exactly but i i i almost felt compelled to put it in because we needed one more of course of course uh and uh i think four is bleach uh and bleach for the same reason there's a lot of songs that like he's trying a little bit too hard to like you know i mean you know they kind of exploded into the punk scene and he was obviously a punk guy but he was more like he loved like black sabbath like there's a lot of like like sludgy Black Sabbath stuff on there that does not that I that I, I think he kind of grew out of a little bit. But there are some perfect songs in there. About a girl, I would think is no question in the top five Nirvana songs. That is that is his Beatles song. That is his perfect, uh, lovely little Beatles song. That like I think he, when he talked about like I think he gave an interview about that one time, saying that like that song just kind of just came out of me. Like it is it is just a perfect little pop song. That I think he was even said that he was nervous about putting it on the album because it was so light and pretty and the rest of it was so kind of like angry and so on but there's some great songs on there Mr. Mustache I think is a very underrated song I've always thought uh, Negative Creep if I were a professional wrestler Negative Creep would be the song I would come in there's a a great little riff that kind of starts off Uh, School is a great song Love Buzz is a great cover there's a lot of good stuff on there but there's some junk on there There, there's definitely you you, it is the start of uh uh, uh, it reminds me a little bit uh, if we uh, the, I probably the, the album that's probably most analogous to it is probably Radiohead's Pablo Honey in that it's a good album by a band but but not it's a good album that doesn't quite give a hint gives a little bit of a hint of what they're going to be doing later but it's not the finished product in a lot of ways so yeah. I think there, I would there's say, I would say Bleach is more true to Nirvana's core than Pablo Honey ended up being with Radiohead I, a little bit. That's, that's, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Radiohead has so many more records to compare with. So. Yeah. Also, Pablo Honey, that's got some good songs, too. Man. Like, it it I does. Yeah. So, yeah. And there are people that wish Radiohead would go back to that. It's never going to happen, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think I, I definitely I I understand that this is a, this is not a Radiohead podcast, but the bins I think I understand I understand even while I disagree I understand the fan that wants it all to be like the bins. I get it. I get it. Particularly I'm, a rock I'm fan. I'm there. I, Particularly that is my a rock fan. I get it. I get it. Record. I get it. Absolutely. But um, uh, anyway, so so yeah, Bleach has got to be four, um, and it's certainly like it's 
to me, I think that was a pretty good sign that like, you know, Jack and Dino should not be producing any more records. That thing looks like it was like, you know, Kurt famously liked to record really fast and like get in, get out and do it. But like you, for that to work, you have to have a producer that knows what he's doing to clean up a lot of the junk. And unfortunately in Bleach, I don't think that's always the case. Okay. So, so top three here. I'm, I'm intrigued. Okay, to me, three. I think our play's got to be three. Uh, I think it, it is a it's a beautiful album. That I, now, are I you th- ranking? By the way, are you, are you ranking these as your favorites or what you would deem to be the best? I mean, both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, 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 yeah, I understand. I have to say, I tend to not make a big delineation between what the best. Like, my favorite is is what I think the best are. Like, you know, I, I try, I try to be. I'm emotional about this stuff. I can say that there's certain songs that hit me more emotionally than uh, than otherwise, but uh, but I try to keep that out of this in the ranking system. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so I always remember. Uh, I'm gonna find this quote. This is a great quote from uh, about the unplugged. From who wrote that? Um, oh, Robert Criscow. Robert Criscow. Here's his actual quote about the unplugged. He's, uh, he says, The vocal performance that Cobain evokes is John Lennon on John Lennon Plastic Ono Band, one of the greatest rock, one of the greatest rock albums of, of all time. And Cobain did it in one take. And I feel like that's actually a key thing about this. You know, when you when you when you see them talk about this performance. The band was not talking to each other. They had no idea what was coming. Like, you know, I mean, uh, you talk to Chris Novoselic, Chris Novoselic has said in interviews, we hadn't seen Kurt until like, the, until like the day before in weeks. He was, this was, I think, during a very, very heavy heroin time uh, for, for Kobe in a lot of ways. No one really knew what was going to happen. No one really, it was, there was a lot of confusion across the board of what they were going to do. And so, which to me makes it all the more amazing. <laughs> it is, sure. this is, it is uh, that not only are, do, not only is the song selection kind of fascinating and, you know, the, like even the meat puppet songs he picks, you know, they're, they're about fame, but they're really about like, there's a great, like nothing at the top of a bucket of mop, like just more work. Like, you know, th- this notion of like, of a guy that has clearly succeeded and clearly hit this point in his life where he realizes it's kind of meaningless. <laughs> and, and, and I think the songs, a lot of people think the songs are about death. I, I, and obviously there are, there are some songs about death in there, but I feel like that's a, I, the su- I never really found the suicide connection with Unplugged nearly as interesting as I, as I find his connection with work and the connection with, with kind of where he was as, as an artist in a lot of ways. And I think for him to pull that off and for the band to be so tight, like you would think that they had nailed that thing down for weeks and they didn't. A lot of times they didn't know what was going on. There's a, there's a, a lot of times where you see him and Dave Grohl being clearly confused as, as like Grohl not really knowing where Cobain is going and, and having to kind of come in a little late and uh, it's seamless. Like it is it, for all the talk about, I've, you've heard people say that, uh, you know, Nirvana was a, a Cobain thing with a really loud drummer. And, um, and I feel like that show shows just how tight they were and how and how for what however distant he may have been from the band at that point there was an instinct you know him and Christopher Selleck were friends since junior high you know there was an instinctive way that that band worked together that I think makes makes it it's just perfect and and to me the the best part of the show too there is a drama in just the construction of the set list there is a the the way it's put together that you know it, it it feels like something the best part about it is it feels like 
It's something that would have taken Axl Rose like three years to even come up with the set list and, and everything. We have to go perfectly into this song and flow here and go and they have to be this arc. And Cobain probably put it together in like an hour. Right. And the thing is, the thing that's interesting about the recording, which if you happen to listen to this podcast and you aren't totally familiar with it, I mean, I can't recommend enough that you refamiliarize yourself watching it and listening to it. I've always actually found to be too different experiences but in terms of the set list and the release there are only two there are plenty of covers there are only two nirvana hits come as you are and all apologies are the only songs on there that a casual listener would even identify or recognize yeah, and it is, and it's, it's funny, because I remember there was a lot of curiosity about the performance too, like, wait, like, doesn't he just scream all the time? Isn't everything just metal and so on? And I think he pretty clearly <laughs> devastated. Now, I, I understand why people think Unplugged is their best album. I get it. I don't, I, and, and I, I think a lot, some of that may be sensibility a little bit. I think if you find, like, here's the best example. My mother loves Unplugged. My mother, she loves it. She loves it. She absolutely thinks it's it. It's it, she listens to it constantly. She, you, she, you couldn't get her ten minutes through in utero, <laughs> but she loves the unplugged. There is a natural. There's a natural. You wouldn't have thought that going in. You wouldn't have thought that that the what he does and what that band did would merge so seamlessly into that format. But it really does. And you know, it's to me. I'm. I, we may talk about this later. I think of of anything. You know, I I listened to Nevermind in Utero, obviously two albums I have it above on this list, but they don't make me sad. When I watch Unplugged, I get sad, and not because not because you know because their songs are about death and they're sad songs, so those are those are true. But that there's a direction you can see him going. There's a place you could see yeah. him going with this that could that that would have been lasting and challenging and fascinating in a very different way, and. Uh, uh, we 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 lost out on that, and I think that would have been something that uh, that uh, when I, I don't I don't know. Whenever people talk about how Cobain would have handled, you know, limp, the Limp Biscuit world and that sort of stuff, you know, I don't really worry about that too much because I feel like Unplugged was the sign of where he was going to go. You know, if you ever to me, listen, I'm one of those people that thinks Cobain could have been our Dylan, and. And uh, uh, and I feel like this was the, this was uh, the direction that could have taken. I feel like some people listening really nodded when you said that, and others uh, might have crashed their car from rolling their eyes. So, well, well, I, I think because I, I think I think, and we're gonna get to Cobain's legacy. And listen, I'm a Dylan guy. Like I, uh, like, I, I don't do, I don't say that lightly. I know you don't. I know you. Don't. All right. So top two, how you how you put them in order? Uh, I have to put Nevermind too, and that is not a slight to Nevermind. Uh, I think that there's a couple. Uh, it is, you know, I mean, it's the album that 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 got me into Nirvana and kind of blew my mind. Uh, and, and I I still think it's like perfectly produced. And and you know, it's amazing to me to think that, you know, like Come as You Are, which is you know, I mean, to, to start out with no, Smells Like Teen Spirit and In Bloom and Come as You Are and Lithium, that's nuts. Like Lithium, Lithium itself is like a perfect pop song. <laughs> like it, like there's so many great, just perfect, perfect songs on there, and they just come right at you one after another. And you know, and to me, does it drag a little toward the end? I think so. I think that I don't think it drags. I think those songs are great. I think Lounge Act is great. I think that. It's I think so something in the way is a terrific something in the way is a, it's a great closer. Great closer. It's a great closer, but I do think that the true classics are all in the first half of that album. 
And uh, yeah, they are. They without a doubt the the four that are on the radio. You mentioned them. And uh, there are other, and like I think I think Breed Breed is not a radio song. Breed I think is just as good as their song. I think it holds up just as well. Sure. But does Lounge Act? I like on a plane a lot, but I, I I know others that disagree with me on that one. I think those songs are just as good. But it is it, it's definitely, you know, it feels. I'll, I'll put it this way. It feels like an element of its time a little bit now. It's still a great album, but you can hear 1991 in there. Yes, in a, it, I, I would agree, but I would say a lot of that. It's one of those things where, yes, I, I agree with you, but I think it, there are classic albums that their their stamp is so heavy on the time that they came out that it's impossible to separate yourself from that. In the same way that the Beatles can be timeless, but at the same time, you cannot listen to Sgt. Pepper, and I wasn't even born, wasn't alive, but I can't listen to Sgt. Pepper and think about anything but the time period that it came from. But the songs are still timeless. I still feel like Nevermind has that quality. Well, for me, like Nevermind was the time. I, 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 like, like for me, Nevermind, I, Nevermind was the thing that I was into, and then the 90s were kind of going on around me. <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it. Like, I associate... I don't associate Nevermind with the 90s. I associate the 90s with something that was going on while I was listening to Nevermind. Good point. It's probably the best way to put it. So so because of that, I were in a way that say, I mean, come on. We all, we you know, when I listen to I listen to uh, there's a, there's a couple REM I'm a big REM fan. There's a couple REM albums that clearly feel, "Oh, this is when grunge was going on." And they, they, you know, this is the, this is Monster, for example, which is an yeah. album I really like. But like that is definitely their we're rocking album because people are rocking now. And I kind of feel like, and I, it's probably because I'm so close to it. I feel like Nevermind stands outside of that a little bit. Uh, uh, but that said, there are times that I feel like it it feels it's got a little it's got a little bit of that. It feels it feels not compromised, but not as fiercely uncompromising as the album I have is my number one. And this, this has changed. This has changed in the, like the last three years. Really? I've been a nevermind guy forever. And then the, and then the 20 year in utero retrospectives get you. And now, I mean, we got the 25 year nevermind coming in a year from now. So who knows if you'll switch back, but you've got in utero yeah. at number one. Okay. Run it down. It is, it, you know, it's hard. I think even then it was hard to get past just how caustic it was and just how abrasive it was and just how uncompromised, how, how much that, that album just would, didn't give you an inch. And, um, and I, and, and I, even as someone that loved Nirvana, there were a couple times I'm like, I'm like, man, that's, that, that kind of hurts my ears. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and remember at the time it comes out, Will. When Nirvana makes and releases the record, where they're standing in the greater, of course, yeah. Culture. I mean, they're they're the most dominant band in America, maybe the world. I can't speak to that, but they they're certainly at the absolute peak of their powers, and they choose an artistic decision that was one they clearly firmly believed in. I think a lot of people really embraced it, but a lot of people it just kind of brushed them away at first. Yeah, and I think I, I think that happened to people, and I get and I understand that. But man, listen to that thing now. First off, like it's still abrasive, but it's abrasive in a way that we're used to now. Like like mm-hmm. it's no longer so shocking to have a song that ends with just the guitar feedback for ten seconds. Like it's not quite as shocking as it was, I think, then. Uh, particularly, you're right in the context of 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 who they were and what was going on. But those, I'm sorry, these song, those songs are they're freaking 
great. And they're great. They're great in the right order. They're constructed in this album type of way where there is, there is, there's, it's angry at the right times. It's self-pitying at the right times. It's funny at the right times. Like there is a, that feel like nevermind feels like a great album by a guy that had a guy that, that writes really great songs. This feel in utero feels like an explosion. It feels like a guy that's that, that it feels like someone like a great artist blowing up and just like, here is what I am. And, and to me, every year the songs sound better. I can't say that about nevermind. I can't, I can't say that about mm-hmm. nevermind in the same way, you know, that like, I used to be a lot more nostalgic about Kurt Cobain and, and nevermind. I used to think and more romantic about it. I used to, come on, we all get older. I used to find, I used to think in kind of this diluted notion that there was something, you know, uh, uh, that same un- uncompromising nature that I liked about Cobain's work was tied into his suicide. He he couldn't he couldn't take it anymore. And how romantic the artist! I no longer think that. I think he was stupid. I think he was stupid, and we and he cost himself and the rest of us. The world is really hard, and he, and he would he I've, I've, I'm at the age now that I think if you can make it easier for people through your music, you should. Uh, I no longer have that kind of that that kind of attitude uh, as I've gotten older, but. To me, that just makes in utero even stronger because the because no longer is it a middle finger. Once you get past that, get away from the context of listen. listen I, you guys aren't ready for what I'm giving you, so here it is. The songs hold up. They're so much better once you get past this. Oh, he's so angry. Here it comes. This is who he was and what he was doing. These songs hold up even better than Nevermind says, and that's something I've I've honestly changed my opinion on in the last few years. This is an album I used to run to Nevermind. And I thought, okay, that's good. I could never run to in utero because that's just, you know, I, I, I can't get, getting uh, feedback in your ear doesn't get you fired up for uh, to to get that 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 twelfth mile of the half marathon. I run to in utero all the time now. These uh, it now feel and it feels different. It just feels different than everything came before it and after. There really has not been another. There have been albums like in utero in that like there's an artist who has been like I'm making it my album. And I'm making it my, uh, this album is going to be mine. And I don't care what the studio does. It's going to be a rejection of it. We've seen that from Kanye West. We've seen that from, from lots of people. To me, the thing that's great about that album is it, that's gone now. And it, nothing sounds like it. Nothing sounds like it. No music came before the sound like that. No music that came after that sound like that. Because I think people were freaked out by it. And it was different. But once you listen to it now, I think it's this unique thing that we've just never heard anything like before or since. Okay, so I'm of the opinion that the legacy Nirvana has, the influence in their music, has begun to diminish a bit over the past half decade to decade. I, I still think, obviously, they're highly revered. I, I'm not sensing that, I, I don't know, the best way I guess I could put this is a little bit of what you're talking about, how you came around to what Kurt Cobain was and his suicide and all that. I think we're getting proper perspective. Like, they weren't the only band that mattered when it came to that scene in the 90s. People are, are kind of realizing that there were, you know, plenty of other really good bands that were in that. They, they're, I, I would argue that people have now come around to saying that Pearl Jam deserves and longevity is certainly a heavy part of that but the major part of it the only part of it actually but yes go and, ahead. And, and pearl and uh, <laughs> pearl jam is my favorite of the seattle bands yeah. but if you disagree let's let's definitely hash this out here uh, to me nirvana is not as important of a band in 2015 
as it was in 2005 and certainly as it was in 2000 and 1997 oh, and 1995. Uh, uh, and some of that's inevitable because it's the passing of time. But I feel I feel there's been a noticeable. Well, honestly, I think I mean, I think that's true, but I don't think it's for the same reason. you do. I just think. Rock music has, frankly, no, no. I feel sad saying this in a, on a rock podcast, but, but rock, rock music doesn't have the influence and power. Right, but so shouldn't it? Okay, so and I agree with you. And so if that's the case, and we're, I want to get on Grohl and Foo Fighters a little bit here, but because right. Grohl embodies the most successful rock act of the past two decades, and if and his band is really one of only a few. Pearl Jam, you could say, is right there with them to a certain degree. But if that's the case, why isn't Nirvana's legacy even even larger or? And blame is not the right word for this whatsoever, but, you know, is the lack of what we have due in part even a little bit to what Nirvana brought and a certain hole that couldn't be filled? I mean, these are big kind of broad questions, but I definitely yeah. felt worth addressing. I think I think on one hand, I think it's true. I, I Listen, if, if we're in a, in a world where everyone has universally decided that Pearl Jam mattered more than Nirvana. I, I don't understand that world at all. So, uh, and I like, and I like Pearl Jam. I do like Pearl Jam. They're a very nice little rock band. And oh, good, come and on, like, man. Don't, you do I, not I do. need to go there like that. They're, they're a very nice little rock band. I, I've seen them in concert many times. I enjoy them very much. And I got, I got no issues with Pearl Jam, but like, and I got no issues with, with Foo Fighters, but there is, you know, it's worth noting that the success of Foo Fighters and the success of Pearl Jam, there is a nostalgia aspect to them. There's no question, particularly. I don't think it's true of Foo Fighters now. Oh, I think I would actually argue it's more true of Foo Fighters in that, like, like if it, like, like you, when when Dave Grohl goes and does this HBO show about sound, sounds, sa- which sound was things, terrific, which was very good. I liked it very much. But that's for like people that like, why don't they do it like this anymore? Like, there is a <laughs> lot of that. There's a lot of that in there. There's a I, lot okay, of. Okay, I would say that, but here's here's what I would counter to your argument here, and I'm glad we're getting into this. To me, Grohl has completely re identify you know he has remade his image mostly there's still a i in my opinion i guess a very simple way i could put of this is basically if you went food fighters played at wrigley field i would and this is a guess and people could wildly disagree with me i would guess that 20 percent of the people in that audience would not know that dave grohl was a member of nirvana which is relatively insane to me but i think it is simply a fact and so the fact that foo fighters have kind of continued to ascend to the point where how many bands how many artists can sell out a stadium can sell out a baseball field there are not a lot and when we talk about rock music contemporarily this is what i'm talking about there are great rock acts but they're rock acts for pitchfork lists and Brooklyn vegan, vegan lists, and they're great. They can sell 50,000 units a year. That's awesome. They make amazing music. But in terms of crossover rock acts that can really yeah. enter the public consciousness, they're not there to a certain degree. And so I think what Foo Fighters have done, and I'm not a huge Foo Fighters fan. I think they're a great, greatest hits band. But I think they've modernized themselves to a point where it's not really nostalgia with them because they've – because of who Dave Grohl is, and he's become this ambassador for rock music, and yeah, he's, but see, he's the that's guy the everyone point. wants to have a beer with. I don't, I don't consider the Foo Fighters a, yeah. a nostalgic act. I would consider Pearl Jam a little bit more of that than them. I think they're both. I mean, first off, like you know, I mean, I, you, there's something, there's a little danger in your theory that's a little, frankly, uh, judging uh, p- uh, page view. 
uh, oh, I, influence. I know. I There's know. no question. There's no question. Like I'm not quite. Maybe I. Maybe I'm. Uh, uh, I, I'm not changing enough, but I'm not quite ready to cede influence in popular culture and importance in popular culture to a pop, to a page view. Well, I would. I would. Okay, so Will, I would agree, but I would also extend this to, and these are bringing in other other elements, but like the freaking radio, which has changed from what it meant in the '90s and certainly the '80s, and you're not getting bands, and that is that is a an important element, or it used to be in terms of. But see that. But see that's the point too. Is like, Kurt is frozen in time. Like who knows if he kept going? Maybe I I certainly hope. Like look at like Jack White. Jack White's a great example of this. I love the White Stripes. I love Jack White. I I'll get the new Dead Weather album. Every side project he'll do, I'll get all of them. I love the guy. But even he is a. We use all natural elements in our songs and so on. And like we, I recorded in a on a in a bean farm, twenty miles out in the in the wilderness <laughs> yeah. of, of Nashville. Like you know, and using sticks to 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 put it on the vinyl. You know, I and there's an element of that that I I find. Like Kurt wasn't like that. There was Kurt was not like this notion that like, hey guys, everything was better in 1965. And I feel a sense, even in Foo Fighters success, I uh, I find a sense of they just don't do rock bands anymore. No, wh- why is with all, like frankly, I think there's a reaction to the fact that hip hop has completely taken over popular culture. And it's funny to watch. I did, we haven't gotten into this, but to watch the uh, the montage of Heck documentary that yes. came out. To watch that, to me, the most striking part of that, because I think the documentary is good. After a while, I, I'm a fan, so I find, like, I find the music stuff he's brought up really fascinating, and the endless shots of him high on heroin and scratching while his baby sitting next to him less. That, that <laughs> like, I, I, I get unbearable to watch. I, I get, I get. I think there's a bit much of that. Uh, I'll say, but I will say this: one of the most fascinating parts of that documentary is to see how, like, there was a time where this scrawny weirdo writing songs about amniotic fluid and, and doll steak and test meat and these weird and recording with William S Burroughs and like this actively anti-commercial artist was Kanye. Like that's amazing to me to look at in the year 2015, the idea that, that, that him and Courtney love are holed up in a room while every single gossip reporter is in the world is desperate. What's going on with Kirk Cobain? What's going on? What's up with him and Courtney love? They become this gossip figure in a way that like, frankly, no rock star is doing now. Like that's just not happening. I don't care how good your music is. No rock star is becoming that sort of a figure of, of public fascination. So to me, that's the only part that feels nostalgic to me about that movie and Nirvana's music is the celebrity part of it that frankly as a fan is listening to music I'm not that interested in anyway which is one of my problems dealing with that movie but my point is is that like who knows maybe he would have become he would start doing you know he'd become a uh, a park slope rocker so on where he where everything was all where, where everything was all uh, natural and 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 the way that you know I think that you you get a little bit of that in and Dave Grohl, listen, you talk to Dave Grohl now. He's the first one to say, I can't write songs like Kirk Cobain. Right. Like, he is the first person to say that. And I love the, I like the Foo Fighters a lot. I, I would argue that I might even like Pearl Jam a little bit more than the Foo Fighters, but I certainly like both of those bands. But I certainly agree with him. Like, you know, I, that, that is, that it feels like they are a, we're making rock. We're making rock. We're making rock music. We're making rock. And that's great. I like rock music. So it makes me happy to listen to that. 
I think Nirvana was making art, to be entirely honest with you. And, uh, and I think it happened to be in the realm of rock music. And to me, that's something that I feel like we missed a little bit, that something fascinating that it, when, when we lost Kurt, we could have seen the next direction he was going to go. Whereas I think you can argue that Pearl Jam and Foo Fighters went in the same direction they were already going, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that Kurt Cobain and Nirvana was different. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say with with Dave – see, Dave Grohl's legacy to me is really interesting because I think he's on a path here where I, I honestly believe he could be sitting on a throne right next to Kurt 20 years from now because he's got a long way to go, you know, health and fortune – uh, you know, if they're, if they're so kind to him, that he is he is built. The thing that's nuts about Grohl is he 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 joins Nirvana late, so to speak, right? Uh, he his his harmonies with that band, I think, really create a lot of. Well, he was higher because he hit the drums hard. Yeah, well, yes. yeah, but he's like an undeniably, of course, of course, extremely good drummer. That's the oh, kind no, of crazy no, no, no. thing is he's no, an I, amazing I, drummer, and he's most he's most famous for playing the guitar and singing. He's got a talent ability oh, that is even even marigold the song that he did when he was with nirvana you heard that song you're like hey this is a really nice song <laughs> like like the most drummers most bands drummers can't make a song like marigold so even before foo fighters happened right you knew that he was a special talent. yeah and so with Grohl, it's just it's a one-of-a-kind story in that he's a member of and there have been famous musicians in one band that have gone on to another or gone on to a solo career he's not the first to do it but he he is in one band that is considered among the greats all time in rock music and helped define a decade and a genre. That band ends. He starts Foo Fighters on his own in 1995 and for the past 20 years has fronted an outfit that has dominated that specific genre. And there's nothing wrong with it. Again, like there are, you know, probably 15 Foo Fighter songs that I like in Eight of them are probably hits. I think they're the modern version of the Eagles in that they could have a greatest hits album, and it's the perfect thing to put on a backyard cookout because it just mm-hmm. works. It's dad rock, but yet the 16-year-olds can kind of get into it as well in this kind of generation. And so what Grohl has become, I just think, is so fascinating because while he's done all of this, considering the bands that he's in, you know, selling out stadiums, playing you know, to Wembley, all over the world, basically. You know, he's breaking his leg, falling off the stage, going to the hospital, continuing concerts like that. If, if yeah, we I mean, did not awesome. have YouTube, by the way, that would be an all-time legend story, and maybe it eventually will <laughs> be. Like, that's just like one of those crazy things. He's done all that, and yet he remains to be among the most, at least, uh, you know, his image, he's the most approachable, down-to-earth rock star you could ever have. And so to me, Grohl's story and how now it's becoming its becoming this thing where it's like, oh, and by the way, he was the drummer in Nirvana. To, yeah, to get to that I, point uh, is kind of ridiculous. I agree with everything you're saying, but that's all PR. I'm talking about the songs. And I don't think there's any reasonable person, including Dave Grohl, that would ever argue that Foo Fighters songs are better than Nirvana's. I just I, I don't I don't I don't know right. that person. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying that they are. I'm and, just saying what he's. And of course, and I, and I mean not to I mean that not to denigrate Dave Grohl because I like the Foo Fighters. I and I I would I, I yeah I like and I don't mean to denigrate Pearl Jam either. Like I actually like both those bands. I like that last Pearl Jam album was not good at all, but I bought it. Yeah, I agree. and I'll buy and I'll buy the next one. Like I yeah. you know I'm like also I'm the guy that still buys albums when they come out. So like I'm clearly like you know uh, I'm uh, in a lot of ways my. You know, my view on the world in a lot of ways is shaped by Cobain in the way that, like, 
you know, he didn't care about PR. He didn't care. Like, you know, he wanted to be popular. Uh, I think but... he cared about almost anti-PR because I've always found Cobain's relationship and dealings with the media to be among the most fascinating things. About oh, I, okay, okay. It's a, too much of a blanket statement to say he didn't care about PR. But certainly, you know, again, as I said earlier, who knows what co- happens if Cobain doesn't kill himself. If he stays going and he, and he's, and he has the girl role. Like, I doubt it. Like that feels like something like Dave Grohl is a good, is a really great musician and he's really, really good at PR. He's really good at it. And that's okay. That's important. That's what we value now. And that's awesome. That's not a complaint to him. That's not a complaint about Dave Grohl. But do I think the fact that Dave Grohl is really approachable and is a badass that keeps playing after, uh, after he breaks his leg in a show and is, uh, and is really supportive of rock music and makes this great documentary series trying to support the musicians that came before him. Do I actually think that makes his songs great enough to put him on the, on the throne? I don't. I don't. But as a public representative of rock music, particularly at a time where rock music is just not as powerful as it used to be, I appreciate Dave Grohl. And I appreciate that he was the drummer in my favorite band, mm-hmm. and I love the guy. But the idea that 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 simply playing for a really long time is enough to get you on that throne, I'm I'm concerned by that. Okay, I I just think it's going to be heading that way because like the Rolling Stones are on the throne, but the Rolling yes, Stones wrote great goddamn they, songs. They did, and and it's not see. I think there is certainly an appreciation to have an ability to write like Foo Fighters. Their songs aren't as good as Nirvana's, but they are really good at writing radio friendly. Yeah. Alternative, not even hard rock, but just rock songs. And to be able to do that, like Dave Grohl can write a song like he can. He has a knack for some melody without a doubt. It's not on the level of Kurt. I would agree. But I think if you, Prove that you can do that for the better part of two decades, and maybe extends into a third decade. Here, we'll see if if you can do that. And again, to me, yeah, it actually it does mean something. I think it goes beyond PR. This isn't the only thing, but I think it's an element that combines with it. When you are one of like, I don't want to waste podcast time here, but there are maybe ten artists that could sell out a baseball stadium right now. Taylor Swift could do it. Foo Fighters could do it. Kanye couldn't do it on his own. He had to do it with Jay Z. You know, yeah. Beyonce could do it. There just aren't that many, and that was yeah, not. And, so why, could, and by the way, so Will, that's not Trump. always Donald Trump. No, did yeah, it. but that's that's <laughs> a different that's a different thing altogether. And and by the way, it feels like now it's it's as low as it's ever been. You know, 2000, 1990, nineteen, especially in the seventies when it was kind of at its boom, you had a number of artists that could kind of do that. And so, yeah, it probably speaks to the music business in general that we might have ten different artists that could do that. But I think it does count in a legitimate, if somewhat minor way toward what girl has achieved. I'm loving this discussion, by the way, this was, <laughs> we did not necessarily plan on this. I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but I did want you to just chime in quickly. Uh, we've, we've talked about your Pearl Jam love. I would, I would go from the Seattle and the major four that came out of the grunge in the early nineties. I would go Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Nirvana. That's actually how I would rank them. And I really enjoy them all. Pearl Jam is in my top five, bands of all time and i don't need to kind of really just give a dissertation on that but do you enjoy all four of those and and nirvana's clearly your one and if you do or even if you don't how would you kind of rank two three and four and have they oh, changed yeah. from what they were 20 years ago 
Yeah, I like all four. There's no question I like all four. Um, I would put Alice in Chains second. I like Alice in Chains a lot. I actually also, talk about weird turns, for Alice in Chains to go the journey route, <laughs> to have like another lead singer I know. that comes on. and it's like, I almost don't even acknowledge that. Although I gotta tell you, the last album's not that good, but the one before is all yeah, right. Because yeah. the guy can actually, and, and yeah. shame on me for not being able to call it off the top of my head, the guy's got pipes. Without, he does. He's actually, wasn't, the, wasn't also the deal that like he was almost too... He was his voice was was too close. It hit too close to home, uh, in terms of Lane's you know kind of yeah. inflection. So people kind of had an issue with it, where they're like, "This is way too close for comfort." They almost they wish they'd gone someone in a completely different route, which I always found interesting. Yeah, I think if you look at those four, I would argue there are four great great albums between those four bands. Three of them are by Nirvana, and the other one is Dirt. I would I I think I think Dirt is. Just, it's such a great album. And so, like, you know, I, uh, so I would put Alice in Chains uh, second. I'd put Pearl Jam third. Um, uh, and I, but I, I like, I feel like, um, I, I feel, it's funny, I, when I think of like Soundgarden songs, I, I, I'm a big Jesus Christ Pose fan. I feel like that is like the definitive Soundgarden song. He's a little, Cornell's a little, He's a he's a little cheesy for me sometimes. I'll confess. He's, he's got, got a, I, what's, what's he's got that? some cheese. He's got some cheese to him. Uh, I, if Cornell, I'll put it this way: if Nirvana doesn't happen, or uh, uh, like if Nirvana doesn't happen, I think Cornell would have been perfectly happy leading like a Def Leppard type band and wouldn't have minded one way or the other, maybe, which is fine. Maybe. I like Def Leppard. I like Def Leppard. I think I think Cornell. I, I think Cornell uh, was a metal guy, and I like metal. Uh, who kind of fell into this stuff, and uh, as opposed to, and I, just, I don't find him nearly as interesting or as, as interesting as a songwriter or a singer or as anything as I find uh, Vetter, uh, uh, Staley, and, and Cobain. Well, here's the deal. So, uh, and this is this, you know, this is why music and listeners' interpretations. There is no, there is no set of rules because from a technical standpoint, Cornell is by far and away the best frontman. Well, yeah, well, yeah, like, yeah. Like, Yinkway, well, e- like yeah. there's not like. There's not a close second, you know. Yeah. You could probably Vetter's probably the worst, just in terms of technical approach. Cobain's probably just above Vetter, and then Lane's right there. So it's always been interesting to me, yeah. like but when yeah, I um, Yingwei Ying Malmstein is the best guitarist, but nobody it, wants to listen to he that. He is, crap. he is not. But I know what you're saying. <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I know. It, it is. That's why music can be interesting. Cause some people love Soundgarden simply because his his pipes are just absolutely unreal i mean cornell's singing ability that's what draws me into their music more than anything yeah. is just because i'm i'm more you know drawn to his voice than any of the other four even that's why i like audio slave audio slave was like a total like that i love audio slave because they were like the the frankenstein band that i always kind of wanted like hey can we just get cornell singing with the band, <laughs> like, can we just like, can we just do that? So, like, can we, can we just have him, like, have their rock? I think they were getting tired of De La Roca anyway. Let's just have, let's just put Cornell over there, and that album is really good. So, Pearl Jam fans that might be listening are probably really ticked off at you for basically discounting any of their outputs for not being a great album. I would say ten is not even my top two. 10 probably has, see, that's one of the things where it's not my favorites, but I can understand why people say it's the best. You talk about Foo Fighters, if you put together our greatest hits, I, um, if you put together the best, if, if, if magically the best 20 Pearl Jam songs were on, came out and it was 10 
Well, like you know what I mean. Like this was one album. I I mean that's your great album. I feel like wow. there's a lot Pearl Jam. There's too many bugs. There's too many bushwhack bush leaguer. There's too I, I, much. There, there's too much junk. There's, there's too no much junk filler. on verses. I mean, what's there's verses is. Damn near flawless. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite with you on that one. Wow. Like, like I'm not. I'm not. There's I get a lot... what you're saying because, like, Vitology has has bugs and Hey Foxy Mo Fandle Mama. That's me, and that's what kind of prevents it from being a great one, in my opinion, because it's just got this random crap thrown on it. But to me, those first two, I think. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, like, like glorified G. You're oh, really gonna gosh. go to the mat for glorified G? You're gonna go. You're gonna. Yeah. Yes, I, I am. Absolutely. Yeah. The drums on that. That song are absolutely ridiculously fantastic. Okay. Yes, without okay. a doubt, I'm gonna go to the map for glorified G. There's yeah, no doubt about it. But uh, I, I listen, but look, look, like that's what I'm saying. Like, like you take like take Animal off of this. Take Rearview Mirror off of that album. Take uh, I'll, I'll even go to I even I even have a soft spot for Leash. Like, I'll, like give me those, give me those, and maybe if you're you like you know I'm dude, more of a Rearview uh, Mirror. Are you kidding me? Like. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. Like you take you take the best songs off of there and put them on one album, like Corduroy off a later album. Like take sure. some of their best best songs. Those are as good as some of my favorite band songs. But there's there's a lot of even in the early days, man. There there was some junk on there. By the way, if you know we're we're about oh WMA, come on, okay Eddie, we're all your brothers. Okay Eddie, we're all your brothers. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast in just a second here, but um, please, please, whenever you're listening to this, at William F. Leach, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-F-L-E-I-T-C-H. That's who he is on Twitter, and I'm, of course, at Matt Norlander. You are more than welcome, Nirvana fans, music fans, Pearl Jam fans. Just let us know when you listen to this, and do give us your opinion on Will's opinion on Pearl Jam, who he swears is a band he enjoys, but I'm, I have not been convinced by this. <laughs> In this podcast, we will let's wrap it up with this, and that's what Nirvana would have been, and what Cobain. We've kind of dabbled in it, but I figure it's a good way to wrap it up. If Cobain doesn't die in '94, do we think Nirvana makes it even to 2000 as a band? Uh, no. Are they around no. today? If they not, what what does Cobain become? You know, the alternative universe. Um, you know, what what is what is he, and what is that band? What do you? What's your prediction on what could have been? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that band would have made it to 95, to be honest. Okay. I think that that band was fraying um, uh, at the seams. And a lot of it was because of him, of course. Well, I think almost all of it was because of him. I think we've le- if we've learned anything from Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl was not going to, like, if he had a good thing going, he wasn't going to screw it up. And uh, I think Kurt took a lot of pride in screwing up a good thing going. It's uh, a definite personality difference between the two men. Uh, but I, I, think, I think Unplugged is the direction, as I said earlier. I feel like he becomes... You know, I feel like he maybe goes the Jack White route and does like a couple solo quiet, does a couple solo albums, uh, and maybe disappears for a while. Uh, so I could see him also going the Johnny Greenwood route and maybe like scoring some movies. I think mm-hmm. that makes some sense. But I think he would definitely be zagging whenever I like. There's no way he would have handled the late '90s well. He would well, have not. I wonder liked how much it. of the late '90s happened if. If he's there. if he's still around, yeah, and, yeah, I think and that, yeah. You, you say Nirvana disbands. If Nirvana doesn't, in some way, if they hold on even for two more records and make it to '97 or '98, does that happen? It probably does in some sort of realm, but it's it's really weird and crazy to think about because, and this is just a quick note for me. A lot, sometimes I feel like the new metal thing that hit is traced back to Nirvana and certainly, you know, to a degree to, to Pearl Jam. I don't feel like that's entirely fair. I don't feel like it correlates from one to the next. 
I don't necessarily see why those chains have to directly link. Do you agree with me or no? I think maybe some of it was a little bit of a reaction to that. Like one thing you definitely saw a little bit in the late, in the, like in, around that time is, you know, say what you will about, you know, uh, uh, Alice in Chains and Nirvana. And I think definitely better. I think maybe the other guys less so, but like these guys weren't bros. Mm-hmm. Like you got a lot of bro rock. Uh, like the bro, like, like I think there was a sense of like, it reminds me a little bit of uh, what Quentin Tarantino said last week about true detective. He said, uh, he said, He's talking about True Detective. He's like, I watch this show and everyone's just so damn miserable all the time. Like, lighten up, enjoy yourselves. And I think, I do think some of the, some of that dipshit rock, I think, from the time. Or my favorite term ever, which is butt rock. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think some of that was reaction to, to the fact that, you know, I mean, say what you will about Cobain. And I, he had a great sense of humor as the, as I, as this veteran, a lot of those guys, but their songs are very serious. These songs are very serious, and I can see. I think a lot of that was a reaction to girls, 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 and all this stuff that like <laughs> yeah. was hitting in the early '90s. I think a lot of that seriousness was a reaction to that, but I think that inevitably kind of brought out a reaction of its own and uh, and brought us butt rock. And I think you're right. That's exactly what it should be called. <laughs> butt rock is one of my favorite music terms and genres ever. <laughs> I died laughing the first time I ever saw it. I I do, and I wonder what would have been and. If the if they had broken up in '95, like you said, you know, I can't help but feel reunion, some sort of, you know. Yeah, see, that's I have to say, I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, like, and I, there's so there is a certain element of romanticism. It's twisted yeah. in it that they don't have that as part of their legacy. There wasn't a breakup, and then 2003 to 2007. Oh, that time that Nirvana got back together. Yeah. they weren't really the Nirvana that we knew. You know, that's well, it's depressing. Like honestly, the idea of a 45 year old. Kurt Cobain playing Smells Like Teen Spirit is depressing to me. Right, right. right. So, and so the reality that we know also helps form the legacies of these musicians that Without die crap. young. Oh. Yes, are, yes. Know, but, but the idea that the idea that we're just that this that the idea that Cobain is some legend is something that's happened over the over time. I think that's something people recognize, even I think while he was making music. Yeah. Like, like, if, like if Kanye West dies next week, like everyone's gonna say he's a legend. They'll be right. Like, you know, that's not something that, like, 20 years later, as, as time goes along, well, we never really appreciated how great Kanye West was. Like, right, I think, right. or like Kendrick Lamar, like, like the guys that are currently right in the mix of it, they're hugely popular and incredibly creative artistic people. We know it at the time. And I think you even know, listen, people like Pearl Jam at the time, but, I mean, frankly, like, nobody ever put them at the same artistic level as Nirvana at the same time they were playing. They just didn't. And I know I sound like a sports writer being like, nobody put DiMaggio over Williams. I know I'm aware of that, but like, I still feel like there's an element of truth to that, that like, you know, at the time people knew that like, you know, they're like, like you, like, like rock critics loved Nirvana when they were playing. Like everybody recognized this was something new and amazing that was going on. They didn't need to create to create that legend. I think it was there uh, as it was happening. I think there's a lot to that. We can wrap it up with, with that. Will Leach, you brought it, man. This is exactly why I wanted to do these kind of podcasts because I want, you know, I want people that generally just have a passion and a knowledge for a certain artist band or, or general topic. And this was uh this was good. Eventually, I will do a Pearl Jam episode, and there will be uh, sub podcasting, I guess, if I could call it that, because we're gone. <laughs> Well, it's funny, you know, two of my best friends in the world, uh, AJ Delorio and my friend Mike Cetera, who's my friend that I went to the, uh, in game, my book, Are We Winning? It's my, the Cubs fan I went to the game with. They are, like, I've been having this conversation about Pearl Jam with each of them over the last 20 years. Like, they are diehard, follow Pearl Jam around, 
huge, huge fans of Pearl Jam. So the, I, I, I came armed. You really did, and I'm, I'm very impressed by it. By the way, Will has his own podcast, which I highly recommend. It is, it is sports slanted, but I, uh, I highly recommend that and checking out all of his work at Sports on Earth. He's, he's pretty widely varied and uh, was kind of a perfect, perfect candidate for, for this kind of deal. So. Will, thank you so much for coming on. Check out the Will Leach experience with Sports on Earth in the iTunes store. And, buddy, I'll talk to you soon. Yep, I'm going to go listen to In Utero right now. <laughs> All right, talk to you later. Take care.